0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks very much for uh, tuning in. This is obviously Zach Lucas, uh, Spencer West. This is part of the Wealth Talks uh, series of uh, webinars. Um, today, I'm joined by only one person, and we're, we're very lucky to, to have him. It's David Brownbill QC from Twenty Four Old Buildings in London. Now, I've known David for many, many years. Um, we've we've uh, happily had some work together as well, and uh, David has taken time out of his extremely busy schedule to um, to help us out on this topic today, which is the family office trust. And so I'm, I'm immensely grateful to David for doing this because it's extremely rare for us in on this side of the world to, to have someone of, of your level um, helping out and, and discussing some of the, the topics of the day. And this one, particularly the, uh, the powers and trusts is is something that is not dealt with very often. That I can see in the Asia market and so it's timely that we should have this um, conversation this particular run through on the wealth talks um, uh, seminars and, and webinars uh, David may if his schedule allows um, uh, do further webinars with us during this year which will be very much quickly received but for today's purposes um, we're going to be running through as, as advertised the, uh, the sort of family office trust Now, uh, before we get going with the agenda, as with always with the uh, the wealth talks there's an admonition that this is a discussion between two practitioners and is not in any way to be relied on as legal advice. Um, So you shouldn't take any action on it or inaction on the basis of what we say today it's uh, honest advice and honest guidance, but it shouldn't be relied on as constituting any sort of legal relationship. So I need to say that at the beginning, it's also contained in the slides, etc. Now, this as usual is being recorded. Um, So after the event, if you registered your viewing, um, then you'll get a copy of the slides. You'll also uh, get a link to the recording. And then there is, of course, the podcast audio for those of you who don't want to to view anything. Right. So for today's purposes, the agenda that we'll run through we will do setting the scene on the family office trust and the the governance framework that seems to be developing in family offices across both Singapore as well as to an extent in Hong Kong. We'll look at the the concept of excessive reservation of powers and what seems to be happening on a thread of decisions that's sort of creeping up on us um, and how the courts have been dealing with reservation of powers, particularly to set laws. And the effect it's having on the validity of the trusts. So it's one that's current law, and certainly the decisions are very current. The one that we'll discuss in particular, the 2020 decision in web. Now, uh, decide to look very carefully at Hong Kong and Singapore, because here we have uh, sort of limited statutory codes when it comes to the applicable trust laws, and limited statutory codes, and to the extent of reserve powers. And so wanted to juxtapose the developing case law internationally to the position that we've got um, in in the the two major financial hubs in in Asia. Then we'll run through and cancer through the the countermeasures that we might consider as a way of um, taking into consideration the developing case law, the risks that they pose, and then what, uh, what you can do to try and remedy some of these risks next actions is just the action points what what i think is the honest advice to to any of you tuning in whether you're from trust companies or you're in a bank and you're responsible for development of this type of work what can you be doing going forward on the back of this um, this uh, talk so I'll do a general introduction on the governance framework and then we'll start to get into case and then finally we'll we'll hear from David and will enter into the discussion. So as always with these these talks, um, it's going to be diagrammatic and I, I want to start with the the simple structure of a trust trustee and the underlying asset the trust fund and what we'll concentrate on are effectively the two parties to the trust that traditionally hold powers the set law and protectors. And when I say protectors I mean non-set law protectors so these are <coughs> third parties that are not otherwise um, connected. The law will be the, the mainstay of the discussion um, because the case laws are really focusing on that. But I want to also um, discuss whether or not there are any issues that uh, give rise on the protector side where there are non settlor protectors involved. And I'll, I'll be inviting David to make some comments about that as we go along. Now, here's the important aspect. Um, we're going to divide up a normal trust powers into a, a bunch of different segments. And so the, the one that I'm uh, gonna start off with is the, the administrative powers. And I've put a list down, this is not exhaustive, um, but it gives you an indication of the type of powers that would be typically within the administrative um, list. So investment powers, appointments to appoint and remove directors of underlying companies, uh, investment managers, change proper law, change the exclusive jurisdiction clauses. So these would be traditional administrative clauses. Then we have quasi-dispositive uh, clauses, and this is powers to amend and vary the trust, power to add and remove beneficiaries, power to um, appoint and remove the trustees. So they don't touch on actual transfer of assets, but they indirectly do because they change the parties involved potentially. And then we get onto uh, powers of, uh, dispositive powers proper. And there we have powers of appointments, powers to direct income, and then importantly, power to revoke the trust. And finally, we deal on with restrictive powers or restrictive provisions, which basically seek to um, reduce the amount of accountability that the trustee has or otherwise reduce the ability of beneficiaries to seek redress. And so I've put trust information, legal redress, and obligations. These are restrictive of what we would otherwise be considered the ordinary um, uh, sort of obligations and rights of beneficiaries, trustees. That's the matrix. Those are the powers. I think it's important to, to keep in mind that we split it in this way because later on in the analysis, you'll see bits of this where the powers that are reserved um, become ones that become worrisome and others are not so worrisome. So it's in, it, it's important that you keep in mind this uh, split dichotomy. Unfortunately, given that this is trust, it's going to be complex. So there there is one other filter that we need to keep in mind as we go through. So when it comes to set laws, particularly, we will also look at it in the context of what type of power or the scope of the power. So there's the difference, blandly. Power to direct means that effectively, the uh, the settler has the power to tell the trustee what to do in certain circumstances. Power to consent is where effectively the law can authorize something that the trustee wishes to do. And then at the bottom, we have the different uh, forms of powers or the quality of the power and then we introduce the concept of a fiduciary power and a non-fiduciary power. And we'll get to what this means when we run through the, the case analysis, but it's it's important. So we've got the dichotomy of administrative, quasi-dispositive, dispositive, restrictive, and then we've got to filter it for uh, powers to direct and consent, and then whether or not the power is held in a fiduciary capacity or a non-fiduciary capacity. It's quite a bit, okay? So I understand that, but it's important that we keep it in mind because the way that this configures up makes a big difference in the court's attitude to um, the position of a law in the trust and ultimately to how the trust is um is effectively validated i don't know david just running through that is there any other filter that we could um we could think about <laughs> that that would be relevant when we when we actually begin the analysis work
1: i i, I don't think for present purposes that we would uh, have any any further ones really I mean, as we will discover in in, in, in due course, um, the uh, settlor's uh, personal powers to give directions to trustees um, could itself be divided between um, beneficial or dispositive powers yeah. and administrative powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. see that the administrative control is probably on, on one side of the of the balance sheet and powers. Yeah. Disposited, or on the other.
0: Yeah, right, right. Okay, so the developing case law. Now, this is the important aspect. There, there are many cases in this area. Um, they, they sort of reinforce each other in a way, but the ones that, just for present purposes and because of time limits, the ones that we will concentrate on are TMSF, and that's a, a case originating in Cayman Islands that went to uh, UK Privy Council. Then we have Pogachev, which is a uk case um and then we will end with web and web which is uh a cook islands case which actually ended up in the privy council as well and you'll see the time frames 2011-17 and then 2020 there are other cases that we can mention there's one that, that actually comes on the other end of 2020 which is the Dewar um, case which we might have time to to discuss but these are the main ones that we will we will consider and what we're trying to achieve is show a thread of of how the courts are seem to be meandering into an area what they 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 term the illusory trust, although they don't actually like that term, although it's probably going to stick now. But uh, the illusory trust, which is um, the effectively invalid trust, but we'll get to to how that works so starting off with um, TMSF and i'll I'll just do the general background and then David and I can can discuss um, what was actually going on in this case. All started with a failed Turkish bank. The settlor was found to have misappropriated assets. Settlor law had judgment against him. So he's a judgment creditor to the Turkish um, Asset Collection Agency. Settlor had created a number of trusts in the Cayman Islands. Now, when you look at those trusts, <clears throat> just bring up the screen. Actually, the ones that the powers in, in, um, in contention on that was the power reserved to the set law to amend and vary the trust. And then there was a power um, of revocation, okay, and this, this is um, uh, fairly important in the way in which they, they then went on to analyze the power of revocation. So these were the principal powers. It wasn't a very complex reserve power position, just power to amend and power to revoke. Now, in the court decision, David, I think probably it'd be useful to um, set the tone of this because there was a, a broad discussion in the court around... The distinction between powers and property <clears throat> and so it would be be helpful to to um to run through why that matters why it makes a difference that we go from analyzing the position of a settler holding powers to uh, a position where the the settler is effectively holding property why do they make that distinction in this case particularly with the power to revoke
1: There was a very unusual circumstance in this case, and as you pointed out, this was a chapter become bankrupt in Turkey, Mm. and the Turkish bankruptcy rules didn't contain provisions which pretty much everybody listening to this podcast would be familiar with, and that is that when in most of the common law world, a person becomes insolvent, becomes bankrupt. Um, it, not just his assets vest in the trustee in bankruptcy, but so do his beneficial powers. Obviously, not fiduciary powers. So that if in the ordinary course of events, this, this case would never have happened um, in, in say Singapore, uh, be, because um, the power of revocation would have would have been automatically vested in the trustee in bankruptcy. Who could have exercised it. Uh, it? That didn't happen, couldn't happen in this um Turkish insolvency. So some other way had to be found. And the other way was to try to have a receiver appointed over that power. Uh, historically, receivers can be appointed over property. Right. They, they have that, that that that's the issue. Was the power property? And that we well, don't have to get into it, it becomes highly philosophical. Uh, But there's an old case, probably a good century old, when um, a a judge had had indicated um, that 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 powers are not property. Right, and they had to get to get past that. I, 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 for what it's worth, I I, I think they way overcomplicated the matter. Um, These these powers are clearly rights. The rights are generally assignable and they right. can be assigned for a value they can be if if you do tax at all and you do capital gains tax capital gains is charged on disposal of property or, or assets and 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 that's described as anything that can be turned to account if you think about it so it should it shouldn't have been so complicated it was but that's the reason why it became important right and of course as 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 you, as, you, as you know the court analyzed it by simply saying it was tantamount to ownership.
0: Right. So they, they actually said that by having a power of revocation, they um that was tantamount to ownership of the trust fund, in effect. It was tantamount to ownership, but 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 the the, the, the
1: good part of GMSF is mm. that it didn't cross the line that appears to have been crossed in the other cases. Right, right. Simply said that here's this power, we treat, we treat it as property, therefore it can vest in the in, you know you, you can appoint a receiver over and it all happened is that the power had to be assigned to the receiver.
0: Right, right. So so nobody
1: said the trust was invalid.
0: Right, so Yeah, see, that's that's the main point, isn't it? That they they had, they had accepted that the power of revocation was equivalent to property to property ownership, effectively, yes. but it didn't invalidate the trust. Right, right. Yeah. So, so they allowed, and they also. It's untroubling to us. Right. So that that was, so in that sense, it was quite orthodox then. Yes. That you could have a power of revocation and not have an invalid trust because of that. Correct. Right. And then and they also said that the power of revocation clearly was non-fiduciary because you could exercise that power in your for your own benefit clearly as a set law.
1: Yeah, ab- right. absolutely. And, and it would be very difficult, wouldn't it, for a power of revocation to be fiduciary?
0: Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So, that that seems to be a, um, a relatively good start to this analysis, right, because we've got a situation where there's a power to revoke, everyone that's doing US work with, you know, foreign grantor trusts, they will have powers to revoke, typically in those trust documents, so, so far TMSF is saying that, yes, it's tantamount to property, but it doesn't invalidate the trust. The fact that you have this power, in other words, to get back the property doesn't invalidate the trust. That was the position in TMSF.
1: Uh, absolutely, and 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 I think the key theme in all of these, um, in, at least in the legal analysis, the traditional one, was that the the power exists. It is on your balance sheet that power, but until exercised, the trust is still extant and still valid. Right,
0: right. So then things start to change after this decision. We start because this is quite orthodox power to revoke can coexist with a valid trust. Then we have the Pogachev decision. And, and this one begins the, the, the train of, of, of decisions that actually starts to go against what TMSF was establishing or at least re-establishing. So the facts in this one, failed Russian bank. There's a lot of banks being failed on, on these fact patterns, by the way. So failed Russian bank. Misappropriated assets, normal fact pattern. Judgment against normal fact pattern. Settler created irrevocable trusts. So that's different. So they were irrevocable. Settler was the first protector and the beneficiary of the trust. So he's the first protector and the beneficiary of the trust. This was the mix of powers as it it unfolded in this case. There was obviously powers of investment. Protector could direct that as well as consent. That wasn't so um, sort of uh, uh, determinative. But then there was a lot of quasi-dispositive powers and dispositive powers. So power to amend and vary, protector consent. Power to add beneficiaries, protector direction. Remember the CEP law is the first protector in this case. So power to add beneficiaries, protector can direct that. Power to remove beneficiaries, protector can consent to that. Power to appoint trustees, protector direction. So the protector can just decide power to remove trustees, this was very important in the case, with or without um, uh, cause, sorry, not case, protector direction, and then power to distribute, appoint income or capital, protector consent, so that was the mix and matrix of, of powers within the um, the trust documents, I think the key bit was law is a beneficiary, settler is the first protector, and then there's a an array of powers that are allowed, some of which are, um, are obviously directive and consensual. So the first bit here, David, is when the court came around to this, um, analyzing the first protector's powers, they spent a great deal of time analyzing whether or not the powers, because it was held by a CEP law beneficiary, whether or not they were fiduciary or non-fiduciary. And I think be helpful to understand why they were doing that. Why were they spending time working out what were the obligations of the power holder? presumably from the trust documents, they didn't say anything about the quality of the power. But why was the court doing that? Why was it looking at whether or not the protector, the first protector, the settler beneficiary? Why were they analysing whether or not the powers were held fiduciary or in a personal capacity?
1: Yeah. The, the simple point is that if, if they are non-fiduciary, they can be exercised for your own benefit without regard to anybody else.
0: Right.
1: That's uh, and 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 that in essence is what the court was deciding, and it was the perhaps the single most important finding. Somewhat contentious, but nonetheless the finding that in all the circumstances, as as everybody says, the court found that the powers of Mr. Pugachev were not were were, were non-fiduciary. He did exercise them in his own interest.
0: And that was because he was a beneficiary. Is that that really what it came down to? He was not excluded. I don't know that it was quite quite
1: that mechanical. The court's decision wasn't particularly linked to any particular factor, certainly part of the mix. Um, Very often, the natural implication of a settled or reserved power um, of a fidu- of of a dispositive nature would be yeah. that it that it is personal because it's it's, it's, it's something he's kept to himself. Yeah. Uh, it, but but if if it's as we all know it's a fairly orthodox analysis if 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 it's held by you as a protector and that's a continuing office, yeah. then that usually is an indication to the contrary and that it's not a fiduciary uh, power. That, and yeah. that, that my apology mm-hmm. is that it that it is fiduciary
0: yeah because they, they in the judgment they discussed that had this power been uh, well had the protector not been a beneficiary or not been the set law things would have been different they would have respected that the office of protector was in that case fiduciary it, 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 c- c- correct correct i mean in, in in other words
1: there would have been some some tension within in the holding of the power there was somebody you know somebody had to consider other people
0: Right. than Just yourself. Right. So, I mean, you know, when you in the old, the old books that talk about well, the books that are out anyway, on protectors, they say that and they argue this in the case that the office of protector is generally going to be fiduciary. Um, I don't know how that's perhaps not a, a good description of it. It's the powers that they hold are either fiduciary or non-fiduciary, but we've always sort of thought of, you know, when you do ordinary trust work, that the settlor will be the first protector. It's quite popular in Asia to have the, the first protector being the, the settlor. But what this case is showing is that if you do that and, and you say nothing else, that the court can draw the inference that insofar as the uh, settlor is the protector and he is a beneficiary, that he's holding the quality of those powers in a different context than if it was a, a professional doing it, a non-connected um, professional. And I think that's, I mean, was that surprising, David? When this decision came out, I know that it's been criticized in the, in the, in the, the sort of uh, the, um, the sort of press and the, the technical circles, but was it surprising how they came to this decision given the fact that it is a, a protector? We all thought that that was an office holder, a fiduciary office holder, and that the fact that he's a beneficiary shouldn't make that much of a difference because he's still under the, the court supervision when in the office of protector. But it's a surprise. It, it, well, the, the whole case is somewhat surprising in, in
1: at one level, uh, because this is, a, for all intents and purposes, in terms of the drafting, uh, you, you 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 can quibble about the drafting and some overcomplications, but yeah. it was basically a, a life interest trust for the use and enjoyment of 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 of, of, of a family home. Yeah, it is. As, orthodox and almost standard for for, for a couple of centuries and there are various provisions in there which which made sure the family home couldn't be sold Uh, without the life tenants uh, uh, as would have been in 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 in, in other circumstances uh, uh, permission but or or consent but yes it's surprising on another level because of course even the power to hire and fire trustees yeah yeah was, was was held to be um, and not not non-fiduciary. Now, um, I th- I think the words with or without cause are you know, just just utterly pointless. I mean, they they don't. I mean, the notion that you could just um, uh, hire and fire a trustee w- with, without proper reason is 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 pretty naive. Yeah. Whether a challenger can prove. Uh, the fact that there was no good reason or or,
0: or, or or an
1: improper reason is a different question.
0: Yeah. You know who was that? They say?
1: are fiduciary, they're generally speaking fiduciary. Yeah. That one case, um, which an, an old Bahamian case back from the 1980s, in which the court did find that a beneficiary with the power to hire and fire trustees um, held the power for the benefit for the purpose of protecting that interest. Yeah, yeah. It was not fiduciary. Yeah, Pretty much the only one. Do
0: you think that um, had the the settlor not been a beneficiary, that would have made a difference in the analysis? I think they they said that, didn't they? If he, it, it, if he it, wasn't it, a beneficiary, that would have been different. Uh, it, it, it would it, it would have been because of course
1: that there would have been little to gain for him. Yeah. If it wasn't a beneficiary, how how otherwise would he have benefited?
0: Yeah, but you know, the other odd thing about this case is that they they do a lot of what ifs, so they they go through the scenario there, oh, well, he could have got, the, got rid of the trustee. And then, then he could have got someone in that would have basically did his bidding and the fact that he would be the person consenting to distributions, well, he just set it up that the trustee be whoever he wants and they would make the distribution, he would agree to it. So the, the court doesn't wait for things to happen. It starts to extrapolate hypotheticals where you could abuse the position. I mean, is that would you did you find that extraordinary when you read that? I,
1: I, th- I think pretty much everybody did because um, and, and, and the theme in the cases that you're referring to uh, when we come to web and web, yeah. uh, whereas previously the retention of a power on its own, um, didn't destabilise the structure. Yeah, and we can get into why that is in a moment. Um, the, the The implication of these cases is that the mere existence of the power, right, not, not its exercise, is problematic. Right. Uh, but it, it, once again, we 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 we've got to uh, bring together all the facts, and I appreciate. That some of these don't necessarily go to the construction of the instrument, but it's, yeah. it's just naive to think that these are not relevant as to uh, the, the 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 purposes uh, of of the trust. Um, they are pretty horrible facts in Pugachev.
0: Yeah, because we're always we're always encountering sort of dodgy set laws. So the court doesn't want; is not minded to help them out, and so. Okay. The, do you right. think that that's, yeah. a, that's a, a factor in all of this, is the fact that we're dealing with dodgy set laws? Uh, yeah, pretty pretty grim facts. I
1: mean, he, obviously, this chap was... I think he'd actually been made liable, not not just um, uh, claimed, uh, yeah. for, for, for a couple of billion dollars. Um, he he didn't attend, didn't defend his own trust. Yeah. Didn't appear, didn't, didn't, didn't give evidence... Uh, evidence w- was given by uh, family or let's call them family members who of course would have been constrained in what they could provide yeah yeah and and uh, for, for 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 good or ill the 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 director of the trust company in question um it wasn't um his evidence wasn't well received yeah. unfortunately so you're you're in some difficulty but yeah. nonetheless, on, on the pure construction of the instruments, it, it, it is full of surprises.
0: Yeah. And then we just finally on this, we get this this rather odd situation where they say, well, um, with the, the cumulative effect of the powers is that effectively this um, set law can gain access to the fund if he were able to, um, if he wishes to exercise the powers in a particular way, he can regain the fund. And so therefore. The answer is he didn't actually, it was a tantamount to having a power of revocation. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. The, 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 the disappointing part is that the, 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 the quotation from GMSF is, 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 is relied upon. Yeah, yeah. But misplaced. Yes, yeah. Whereas In deciding whether the power of revocation itself constituted proprietary a, 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 a property and could be the subject of, of, of a receivership. Yeah. taken that and, and added to it and said, therefore, you own these assets.
0: Right, right. that's
1: what GMSF said.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just to, to sort of summarize up, what the, the point about this case for everyone listening is, here's a, a set law that ends up being the first protector. The court's looking at the circumstances and saying, well, you could exercise those powers in your own interest. And if you did that, you could find a way to effectively repatriate those assets back to yourself. And in doing that, they then come to the conclusion that if you're able to do that, then you don't have a valid trust. And this is an irrevocable trust that they're doing this to. The fact pattern is, is unfortunate because the law is not coming with a sort of clean hands and it's not good folk, but that's what effectively they're saying. So I think that, you know, we'll do the lessons learned a bit later on, but it's important to note this. Um, it's a protector office that this is, primarily being dealt with through the fact that these are remains a beneficiary leads the court to extrapolate that actually they can find a way to get assets back and that just that risk alone gets you into a position where the trust then effectively is seen as illusory or invalid okay now the last one that we'll do because because of time constraints is uh, web and web and this is the uh, the latest uh, sort of addition as it were so This is a matrimonial dispute, so this is not a creditor issue, Um, this is a matrimonial dispute. Settler created a number of Cook Island trusts, Settler appointed himself as sole trustee, already that's going to be off to a bad start, but not very usual, but that's that's the fact pattern. Settler appointed himself as the consultant to the trust, which for our purposes is like a protector, Settler is also a beneficiary of the trusts, quite wide um, powers. Retain So power to amend and vary, consultant consent, for effectively the set laws consent. Power to add and remove beneficiaries, the set law could direct that. So not in the capacity as consultant. Power to appoint and remove trustees, consultant can direct that. Power to apply income and capital, trustee. Well, that's the that's the set law himself. Um, trustee, no conflict rule is excluded to the extent that they can act, uh, do things that are not. Um, uh, in, in the interest of the beneficiaries. So court decision cumulative effects of retained powers and roles, uh, no effective alienation of beneficial interest, Sorry. and uh, no extensive uh, fiduciary versus non-fiduciary analysis. So when I, uh, David, looking at this latest edition, they sort of roll up all of what the set the law could do um, to take into consideration the different roles and say that in effect it seems to be that the laws in too many different roles has too many powers and effectively um, it's a tantamount to having a power to revoke or a general power of appointment is that is that how you read it they just said look the cumulative effect of all of this is that you haven't done anything to alienate the assets into a trust
1: exactly that I mean they, they said he was wearing too many hats or yeah. all- has, shall we say, and 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 that they then drew this conclusion? It's it it, it is, um, uh, so, somewhat troubling. I mean, the the first issue is what? Why didn't they just simply if they concluded that he had a beneficial power, uh, which which was valuable to him? Do I think they did because this is the clause ten of the trust whereby he yeah. could um, uh, replace? It's an old power. It's not add beneficiaries. It could replace beneficiaries. Yeah. So uh, they, they, they concluded that ultimately uh, he could end up as, quote unquote, the sole beneficiary. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this case, which is different to the Clayton decision, uh, there was also that that would have affected the backstop um, gift at the end of the day so that he would have been technically the sole beneficiary. Um, the difficulty there is what, why didn't that power sit on his balance sheet in the same way as it did with TMSF? Yeah. Why was that power, if it was beneficial, uh, a, a matrimonial asset? This is the question mark was if the assets are held in trust, they couldn't be part of the matrimonial division. Yeah. If, if it was held for his sole benefit, just a nomineeship, it was a matrimonial asset. Yeah. Um, so it, it should have been just simply that his powers, insofar as they were beneficial to him, should have been on his balance sheet and then we yeah. wouldn't be having this conversation. They yeah. didn't take that route. And what, what they decided was that, you know, his powers, that collection of powers and provisions, uh, was he was to be regarded as having rights indistinguishable from ownership. And they said that exactly as you put, uh, be, because he was in a position to secure the benefit of the assets without without uh, 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 to himself, uh, without regard to anybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's again, of a power.
0: Yeah, yeah, and particularly to reduce the, the beneficiaries to himself solely. Exactly, yeah. and, and just on the fiduciary non-fiduciary uh, a, a analysis, uh,
1: there is a, a, a perfectly orthodox provision in the trust, which takes on a different connotation in this circumstance, and that is the standard provision that we have, whereby we remove the absolute prohibition on conflicted transactions. Yeah. All that does is is stop is stop the transaction being automatically void. You've still got to exercise your powers properly. You know, you've still got your fiduciary obligations. Uh, but but the court took that uh, standard provision and 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 combined that with the fact that this chap was the was the trustee.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if,
1: yeah. so you, there was one other beneficiary, which was his son. Yeah nobody else in prospect and you know to to, to whom was that any true duty or obligation owed yeah yeah it's very thin trust on top of everything else yeah yeah Which is another perhaps um uh, a sort of red, red red light
0: for us yeah yeah because if we, we go to the, the end analysis of this it looks like if we were trying to sum up do a summary everything in the green looks as though it's okay so if you've got administrative powers being reserved they seem to be fairly standard it doesn't affect the the uh, ownership of the underlying trust fund so that would seem to be quite mild and not give rise to any of these risks it's when we start moving the dial over to quasi-dispositive and fully dispositive powers then we start to get into this new territory of illusory trust particularly and this is I'm looking at power to revoke in, in particular, because there are a number of trusts in Asia that are going to be foreign grant or trust, for instance, where power to revoke is quite important because it helps with the, the, the tax benefits that these trusts achieve. Now, if it's the case that we have set laws that taking on the ability to uh, effectively call the assets from the trust or even at a milder level reorganize the trust so that in such a way that they can. Um, you know, a trust that's ostensibly irrevocable can actually end up being um, revocable by virtue of the way in which they can exercise powers in combination with the uh, the trustee. If that's the case, if that's what these developing lines of authority are, then it puts, you know, we need to consider very carefully um, the whether or not the trusts that contain settled powers that are in red on this quasi-dispositive and dispositive The more you put on that trust, the worse it gets in terms of this line of analysis, because the more risky it becomes that if someone weren't gonna have a pop at this trust, if it's gonna be a a divorcing spouse, or if it's gonna be a forced heir or someone, then they'll be arguing that that combination of powers, which I think everybody on this will think is pretty mild and pretty standard, given this line of authority, then becomes quite explosive potentially so i mean what is is that the right way of looking at this david the more that we move over to the right hand side of this um, this diagram the more that we start looking at positive powers the more we need to be concerned going forward
1: i i think that must be the case because of these uh, de- decisions that we're looking at that's the the direction of travel but and 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 this will be the issue mm. is to try to Uh, draft the trust in such a way that the that we can still go back to what we might call the traditional dichotomy and that was a distinction between a state of affairs whereby the assets were immediately held to the order of 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 the of the settler and you've retained your beneficial interest in those circumstances It's, it's, it's it's just a nomineeship and those circumstances where the assets are held genuinely genuinely for beneficiaries as who can include, but the settler, but, but must obviously be persons other than the settler as well. Yeah, uh, which 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 are themselves uh, subject to, uh, uh, let's say, a power of revocation. Yeah. In those circumstances, they're not held I- I- immediately uh, to the order of the of, of of that power unless and until he exercises his power. Yeah, but but
0: you how do get we? Into
1: that. You need to get into that second situation.
0: Yeah, but the, the first situation. But the problem is that they, you know, these judgments are all. They they're looking at the cumulative effect of this, so it becomes uh, a, a little bit of an art to try and do this. We, we we can't be quite forensic about this. So if we're we're you know uh, a wealth planner at a bank, or if we're a trust company MD or business development um person then how do we get to a point where we know the limits so where does it where does the mix become toxic that's that's going to be the issue going forward yes
1: but you also want to be looking at it in, in 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 a broad sense you've got let's say your what is sometimes in in the american context called the revocable living trust yeah yeah wonderful expressions that we hear um Everybody will tell you, you know, the, the, the US experts that during the life of the set law you can't sue the trustee. Yeah. And and this is either by virtue of express terms or, or the way the law is developed. Yeah. Yeah. In those which, which, which of course, to, to 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 innocent minds such as mine, that 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 mine that, that 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 is a shocking statement and quite clearly tells me. That the assets are held to the order of the settler and they're on right. his balance sheet, they're in his estate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, How they become trust assets after his death is beyond me, and no one has ever explained it to me. Yeah,
0: but, that, yeah. but,
1: but the, the 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 creation of that structure outside of a U.S. environment yeah must must be very dangerous.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. I, that's...
1: I don't I don't think that's that will come as news to anybody.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but what what are we going to do with 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 a purely orthodox revocable structure?
0: Right, right. Well,
1: I think we're going to have to try a little bit harder than perhaps in the past. You're going to have you'll want a proper trustee. Now that yeah. doesn't you know, we'll talk about PTCS later on. Yeah, your working trustees must be must be and be seen to be acting properly. Yeah, yeah. And and you don't want anything ridiculous in the trust, which at all suggests there is no duty owed to any beneficiary so these uh, r- r- restrictions on disclosure of information yeah uh, rest- r- r- restrictions on being able to sue the trustee uh, breathtaking provisions that you saw in the a- aq re- revocable trust in bermuda Yeah, so you couldn't sue the trustee you couldn't complain about anything yeah. done during the life of the settler this kind of thing yeah. there are obviously uh, a sort of red flags yeah yeah and, and okay. then the more difficult thing of reducing the involvement of the settler.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, I think the, the other aspect that I was looking at was the uh, position of protectors. <laughs> Could we find the situation where, I, I don't think there's been a case on this yet, but we load up a protector <clears throat> with enough of these powers that in effect the trust is held to the order of the protector. Is it, is it possible that we can have a situation like that occur? So, for instance, Setlaw, I'll give you a simple example. Seth Law um, uh, uh, confers a power of appointment on his son, and that's a general power. So that effectively, the son can do what he wants, trust fund, by way of the exercise of that power. Do we, Under this current thread, do we then say that, well, in effect, this is a nomineeship for the son going forward? I mean, the, the ramifications on, on this. In other words, do we need to analyze it I know we need to be careful if it's the set law, I know that because he's the one that's effectively alienating the property in the first place, so we have to make sure it's a perfected gift in that way. But then once it's into the trust, if we've got so much powers and provisions in the trust to a non-set law, could that effectively make the, uh, you know, uh, subject the integrity of that trust to some level of doubt, Uh, using the analogy of what what we've just been discussing with the set law, is that... Well, it's always been a risk,
1: Um, but it was one where we distinguish between um, assets held to my order and um, the holding of a power not yet exercised, that dichotomy. Now, uh, plainly, uh, the spouse taxing authority or creditors of the son will have something to say based with this situation, and it would be naive
0: to think it's not a possibility.
1: a possibility
0: yeah right okay right so let's move on we've got time okay so bringing it back to regional hong kong and singapore and thinking about how how is this developing line of cases going to impact the position that we've got in both jurisdictions with respect to their trust laws as they currently stand so if you look at the hong kong trust law of course see by basic law you apply english common law to to hong kong and you have within the uh, the updated Hong Kong trustee ordinance um, settler reserve powers under section 4110 um, or X rather, and this is the provision uh, reserve powers to settle, well, there's two two um, subsections, the first subsection deals with the settler um, uh, effectively reserving to the settler any powers of investment and asset management function on the trust. Now, just before we get to the, the second one, one of the questions that I would ask on this is whether or not and it's a topical one because it comes up quite often, is whether or not the fact that we've had in Hong Kong express legislation that says you can reserve effectively a power of investment or asset management, is that to the exclusion of all other powers or effectively is it non-exclusive? So um, I um, I did some research on this and I looked at the consultation paper leading to the, um, the, the amendments and there's a section in that where they, they actually talk about the fact that uh, case law will continue to apply and the reserve position of powers generally at common law will continue to apply generally, but they will just carve out. Um, uh, the the provision dealing with investment powers, and I think in that there was some feedback that it should be more extensive that was rejected, this was the only thing that got through on the amendments. So I think Hong Kong answered that that effectively these provisions are declaratory of a position that was already there at common law anyway, and they they don't authorize something that we couldn't have done anyway at common law. They just make it beyond doubt that that in itself will invalidate the trust. Is that, that's, um, if I was just asking a question, David, on this, that as a matter of English common law, was it the case that, ever the case that a law could reserve no powers at English common law and that you needed statutory intervention to award powers to the settler, was it ever the case that we had that position?
1: No, we, we, we can go back quite, quite a ways to um, uh, settlers um, ha- having direction-making powers and consent-making powers over investments, right. asset management and such like. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's perfectly orthodox. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Now, the second part of this, the, the subsection two, I, it's an interesting one, because if we run the scenario, and I, this is the question to you, if I run this scenario, the set law holds investment powers personally, so you can exercise them in a non fiduciary capacity. And then we have this provision that the trustee who acts in accordance with the exercise of those powers or functions is not in breach of trust, then do we end up in a statutory position that no one's responsible for this trust? So, in other words, are we? Are we? Is it a core obligation breach, or is it? Could we see a Hong Kong court looking at these statutory provisions if it ever comes up and saying, "You can't have a trust without anyone having an obligation"? Or how? How would be? What would be the the, the issue that could come up in this? Uh, this
1: this provision uh, ra- ra- raises so many questions. I mean, it is it's, it's extraordinary, at one level, but. Um, Reliance on it uh, with, without caution, I think, would, would, would be um, taking a risk.
0: Yeah,
1: it's going to be read, no doubt. Um, but by you know the, the, the Hong Kong court is extremely sophisticated, yeah. uh, as are the Council before it, um, uh, and it will be read uh, just as you've been doing in 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 the context of the legislation properly um it may well be that the court is saying well a person that is acting improperly misusing its powers is 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 is, is not exercising right yeah listen to proper exercise and that's not covered by this
0: yeah i, I suppose I
1: to a trustee that is actually aware of something improper
0: yeah
1: well, you know, ought to be very
0: cautious and should be in, in an appropriate case we'd want to take directions from the court but yeah, but certainly from trustee's perspective, relying on a set law, because this is the other thing that will come up because it's an investment asset management function. The Question that comes up is, should the trustee be looking over their shoulder each time that they get a direction? So should they be saying to themselves, is this a proper exercise of this from the set laws perspective? he will see he'll be saying there's no such concept as a proper exercise. I can do what I want. So do you, do you see what I mean, David, in terms of the practical manifestation of this on the ground how do they what should we be doing just saying well i've got a direction i just follow it that's it he's the boss or yeah because that's well if, you, if only that were the case um right.
1: as, as as you know well um in 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 the united states that they've had this uh phenomena of this of, of the directed trust i mean and it's completely yeah. It's, it's now, you know, it started off as a notion I think in Delaware in the '80s or '90s, um, and and it lay rather hidden for for, for for quite some time until there were one or two decisions, mm. and it's taken America by storm. Um, all kinds of factors can be taken into account, but but the fact it, it's now completely mainstream, so that you've got a, a, a uniform to trust act. Yeah, just become more conservative and mainstream than that. Um, so it's not wacky legislation at all um, and, and in these circumstances um, it's, it's not an absolute protection there's right. still, still a job for the trustee to do because right. legislation itself has got certain limits to it um there is a, a, a provision uh, in in the Bahamian statute which is was intended to reflect that process of um settled of, of directed trusts mm. and, and and that contains um a, a, a limitation uh, to in relation to any actual knowledge of a dishonest exercise right right dishonest is, is to be interpreted in that broad sense
0: yeah
1: that, that, that's the old, um, section 81a of, of of the legislation um i i know about it because i was involved in its drafting right you've got these things but there's nothing like that expressly in the hong kong situation
0: no so what would be so what do we say to there's going to be trustees watching this um and they'll be in hong kong or they'll have an affiliate in hong kong and they potentially could be um you know trying to rely on the practical aspects of this provision we would say that it's not a blanket um exoneration effectively
1: you know, on, on the basis of what, what we're looking at on the screen today, you, yeah. you, you would have to um, suggest some caution, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's been no end of advice given on this by Hong Kong Council, and uh, yeah. one yeah. would expect it would be um, uh, somewhat cautious.
0: Yeah, okay. Now coming to Singapore um, same issue application of English common law through application of English common law um, act or English law act. trustee act, and this is the, the provision under Singapore, the, the equivalent to, to Hong Kong, as it were settlor reserve power section 95. This is the actual section here there's no trustee exoneration provision included, but it's pretty much the same as as was um, you, you would have seen in the Hong Kong analysis. The same question arises whether or not this is exclusive or non-exclusive. And I, I asked that again because um, I, I actually took it upon myself to do a poll on this, and the it was over eight thousand people viewed the poll and it came back. Uh, over 50% said that you couldn't reserve more than a power of investment to a set law under Singapore trust law, and they're relying on clearly section 95 for that. But then that brings the whole issue back of um at English common law, um, but for a statutory provision, you couldn't reserve anything to a set law. Is that right or wrong? And we've already said that no, uh, At English common law, you could reserve um, more than just the power of investment uh, as a matter of law. So I think that in terms of the exclusive, -exclusive, non-exclusive extent of this power, um, I went back and looked at the Hansard and the the actual um, introduction of the 2004 amendments and read the Deputy Prime Minister's comments at that point, and it it was almost the same as in Hong Kong in the context of we're not going to effectively seek to codify um, powers, we'll leave it as a matter of common law, but in the meantime, we'll at least um, uh, uh, codify powers of investment and management function, but we won't say anything about the common law position as it now stands. In effect, that's what the Deputy Prime Minister was saying at the time then the head of Ministry of Laws. So, I just ask that question again. As a matter of English common law, is it appropriate, is it um, valid for a set law to reserve powers more than a power of investment? Or would it be invalid? Uh, it, it, cl- clearly not. Um, don't don't um, mis-
1: underestimate this, the scope of, of, of this, because it's it, 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 it's pretty wide. I mean, it's it's powers of investment or asset management function, yeah. which covers a very broad range of yeah. activities. So you you'd have to you may have to be a little bit more specific. Not not today necessarily, but mm. to say well, what else are we talking about? Um, yeah. What what other um, a, a, a roles or functions are we referring to? Yeah. So what, you get into asset management functions, I mean, that's, um, you know, it, it isn't just, you know, buy and sell, it's, 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 it's how, how to vote the stock of a, of, of, yeah. of a company, whether you jo- join in in, in in a corporate transaction or not, and so yeah. on and so forth, whether yeah. you engage in trading and, and so it's pretty wide. Um, what are we left with after that? Well, yeah, hiring um, and firing trustees? um mm. revocation powers mm. and and uh, the so, so it's it, it it's not
0: quite as narrow as, as at first sight it, it might um, yeah but, it, but in looking at the section you'd say well does that mean it can only exclusively be the seplor that can reserve these powers or can you not in other words you can't even have a protector committee that does this because it's only it's because i don't read the section in that narrow way well, is is isn't it directed at a particular concern? Mm. And that
1: is the reservation of powers by a by the person who creates the trust. Yeah. Results in no trust. Would, the concern was it could have resulted in no trust having been created at all. Yeah. 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 That yeah. Of course, can't happen if you give the power to somebody else.
0: Right. So that in that's, that's back to the whole is it non-exclusive or exclusive. So I think I think that it may have been mechanically interpreted as meaning only the set law can reserve this, no one else can do that. And you you can't have a subsequent power holder because it's clearly saying only the set law can do this. And I don't I don't think that that certainly from reading the Hansard, I don't think uh the, the minister was never not saying that. It's not that as a matter of law. It might just be a misconstruction on certain segments of the community that seem to think, take it literally, that it's uh, it's almost displacing English common law to that extent, which I don't think was the intention at all? Yeah, as as I say, I don't know that it is
1: so often been said that that that, that, that the, 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 the the not the reservation, the granting of a power to a third party mm. um, necessarily called trust into question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost yeah. all of this is related to the, the the what 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 is the settle order?
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. issue
0: is in web and web and How,
1: yeah, has disposed yeah. the beneficial interest
0: yeah exactly, exactly. they don't have the exoneration clause in the uh in the, the singapore version so i suppose you as a trustee you need to figure this out um, do i supervise or don't i supervise or where what's the limits of my um potential residual liability if the uh the set law is I don't know, uh, wrongly investing or otherwise, you know, maliciously investing, I don't know if you can do that, but, so there's nothing said about the trustees position in all of this. So then where where does that then leave us?
1: You, you know, I, I, I would imagine um, you're in ex- this, this doesn't change any uh, anything in relation to the trustees duties. Oh. it just, it, just it, it it only speaks to validity and invalidity
0: right yeah okay yeah so their they, their obligations are the same
1: whatever they were previously they they probably still are today and, right and but, we all have looked at this and i'm sure many of those listening will have looked at it and colleagues from from singapore and hong kong will have looked at it and we know that very much it's you know the reservation of powers and the problem of knowledge yeah Yeah. yeah so yeah it's
0: a complicated situation yeah yeah okay so just going on to summary of this um position hong kong singapore investment powers fine that's that's no problem at all these are the range of of powers that we can encounter it's not exhaustive the issue that comes up is um singapore hong kong will have because of the uh, you know applying traditional um english common law principles the ones in red will be an issue going forward as it already is. I put the others in yellow only because it's to the, it deals with the context in which and what the extent to which they're trying to do that but for certainly from the developing case law from a Hong Kong proper law, Singapore proper law trust perspective they will have as it is in the UK or, or any other Commonwealth um, jurisdiction that doesn't have a statutory code these are going to be some of the issues that are live now in the red how many how much do you reserve to the settler and in what way um, these can have implications to whether or not um, the the trust could be found to be invalid is that is that fair Uh, I I think I think it must be it must be we
1: we have these decisions that that they're, they're fairly forthright and we're going to have to manage around them
0: yeah okay now the last bit countermeasures now just uh, we'll canter through this because we're, we're, we're getting low on time. In terms of three things will come up. What, what can we do better in terms of drafting given that we've got these cases, if we're gonna continue to do Hong Kong, Singapore trusts, um, what's what sort of best practice could we start to incorporate into trust drafting if we modernize? Should we start to decant and just use private trust companies or are there risks associated with that? And what should we do about using, um, let's say, more modernised offshore trust jurisdictions, some of the more traditional offshore centres, uh, instead of or in addition to? So, looking at the uh, the drafting amendments, uh, I'll 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 put them all on the screen so that we can we can run through in whatever order. But reserve powers to avoid. Um, should we be saying things like this power is not fiduciary, this power is held in a fiduciary capacity, making it clear. Um, excessive restrictions that we should be aware of that could could have a, a negative impact, for instance, um, limiting the rights of access to information. What can we do in terms of um, particular best practice drafting, given that we've got these lines of cases coming through? And would undoubtedly everyone's going to be arguing this on case on, on litigation cases going forward. That you've got an illusory invalid trust if you've got any reserve position on there it's going to be the, the standard pleading i suspect is there anything we can say about about this particularly on the the drafting side david you, you're, you're you can go in reverse order
1: there can't you I mean, yeah. the, the inclusion of this of of, 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 of of these restrictions is going to be looked at very very carefully mm. uh, what i i I. I there there is a difference you know a, a complete restriction on beneficiary rights to information will often be overridden it won't work yeah but rather than the trust be set aside right right and um, that that's that's been done on, on a number of occasions um so, something less you know might might well be acceptable whereby you say well persons under a certain age don't get information yeah yeah we'll know precisely why we're trying to protect them from themselves um, so it's, it's 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 possible that, that and, and the, the hope is that you don't do a, a complete blanket across the board. so you know you've got one class of beneficiaries that do have information others that don't mm-hmm. so you, you 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 satisfy the the requirement for there to be a genuine tension between the trustee and the beneficiaries the mm-hmm. trustee has got to owe some duties yeah those yeah. Those, those duties are going to be enforceable yeah, yeah. Absent information. They're not. Yeah. So, so that's that's a no-no. Um, if if we're going to say, and and it may well now be necessary to to be more explicit. Mm. But if you do say fiduciary, and you've got to, you've got to explain what you mean by it. Right. Right. Yes. It's yeah. not enough uh, just to say that because yeah. If, if we say it's fiduciary, we've got to say does does it impose positive obligations or just negative obligations and so on
0: yeah yeah so you've got to do a proper job on and it, you can't just say that the office is fiduciary you you need to pick out the powers and then expressly discuss each of those powers qualities in in, in indeed and what what is it that's expected right of, of, right. The, of the holder of the of
1: of the power there, there is a debate for example that if you if you are a protector with the power to hire and fire yeah um, how, how, how big an obligation is that are you responsible if you fail to exercise it. Yeah. In circumstances when you ought to have done.
0: Right. So that that's a, a quite a lot more trust drafting than then most of the trust deeds I suspect have nothing on this. And so moving to a more modernized approach is going to require quite a lot of work to embellish exactly what you are you're suggesting that the, the holder has.
1: Potentially more than that, because when you get into the fiduciary nature and what it means, um, uh, you 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 will test the patience of your clients. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. They they, they just throw their hands up in horror at the yeah. complex. Of yeah, your... yeah. So uh, it's it's not an absolute requirement that you could start indicating Fadishri or not, but
0: yeah,
1: um, in in particular circumstances, it may well be appropriate. Right. Um, some some jurisdictions, did it automatically for many years, didn't they? Yeah. It's yeah. Ridiculous yeah albeit without explanation
0: yeah what about powers to avoid because we're undoubtedly people listening to this are going to say is a power to revoke still good or not um should we should can we do it or not what's the position on powers to revoke because i've got you know um tens of hundreds of us connected clients and we've got all these trustees circulating my precedent has this isn't included what what should i do about this going forward well, I, th- I think we're back to that
1: dichotomy which I explained a little bit earlier. The, the, the notion you know, are the assets immediately held to the yeah. order of the settler, or are they in fact held for the benefit of beneficiaries other than the settler, be it in in addition to or not? Yeah. Uh, with, 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 with that state of affairs continuing until the power is exercised. And yeah. um, you've got to get into that second situation. Yeah. So, yeah. It, this I. 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 My. My guess would be that that. You know, if the only factor is that there is a power of revocation, but everything else points to a proper trust, then it would be um, an earthquake. And an over uh, up upending a couple of hundred years of, of of jurisprudence to say that you can't have a yeah. power of revocation.
0: Yeah. Okay, a couple more and then we're we'll wrap up so private trust companies, the issue here is obviously the set law is not having reserve powers, but the set law sits as a director. On the private trust company, this is this is very popular, a lot of these private trust companies are limited by guarantee. And the central and city I don't know, to the extent to which the is sitting there on their own it's quite possible, they are on their own as the sole director. But the question comes up again is it is what's the illusory trust risks with this. What's the risks of director liability? Um, what's the risks of sham? and then what should we be doing in terms of the best practice for settlers that decide that they want to sit on the BTC boards? so I know there's quite a, quite an array of issues there. you can pick out a couple because we're running low on time anyway i
1: i think i th- I think we can deal with this fairly generally that the, the mm. principles that we've already touched upon yeah. Apply in every way to a trust with the tr- whose trustee is a PCC, as it yeah. does in this circumstance. Um, plainly, we do not want. Uh, it, it is dangerous to have the 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 the, the settlor as the trustee, and it rather surprises mm-hmm. me just how many times that's cropped up recently. But I, I imagine in the world that you are operating, that's sure. very very rare um but but the reason you wouldn't want that is the reason why if you're going to have a ptc it's got to be run properly yeah and and effectively uh, perhaps one unscientific uh, uh, uh test is is to is to look at the situation um it, for these purposes uh, uh by 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 saying well if
0: if my directors were the trustee directly
1: what would be the situation
0: yeah so and so if the set laws is there as Directed in your back into the same problems.
1: Yes, I mean you—you you probably won't save much, if anything, if you do the the things you can't do directly to do th- through the medium of a company.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think that's that's a good way of of, of looking at it. I just mentioned on the, the the director liability. There will obviously be situations where on PTCs um, we don't have just the, the law sitting there with all the risks that that has. But what's the position on directors being held liable for breaches, because, you know, when you look at a PTC, it's almost judgment proof, um, ostensibly when you look at it just the around, but is it possible that uh, we'd, we, we'd have movement there, directors could be held directly liable for losses to the trust fund, that they've effectively procured? They're, they're, they're not judgment proof, um, e- even at the most
1: extreme end. Mm. It's, it's just complicated to get through the barriers. I mean you would sue you know today you can sue the trustee get your order uh, get if you know sort of get, get, get your claim that that's yeah, non non-scientifically call it your damages claim your your rights of recovery you know your, your accounting entitlement and 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 then the you have to put the company into uh, liquidation and the company has to the the liquidator will pursue the directors right they're, they're not safe right In that sense, and if it's a big enough claim then you can expect it to happen one day
0: right so you'd use it through the insolvency route
1: you can it's just very complicated and time consuming so everybody wants to try to see well can i claim directly and, and as uh it as it's been made clear in a number of jurisdictions, directors don't owe duties to beneficiaries. Right. They owe duties to, 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 to the PTC, to their company. Uh, and the question is whether, in very special circumstances, uh, the situation could be different. Uh, and it, that, that is where it's a single-purpose PTC. Yeah. Only function of the PTC is acting as the trustee of a particular trust. Yeah. It is suggested in most circumstances uh, that um, the 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 mischief that is behind the rules uh, that that the director only owes duty to the to, the piece, to, to, the, to his to his company. Yeah, may, may may not have the same amount of traction right. Uh, right. as in, as in a case where you're going to have multiple obligations, multiple potential creditors, and so on. Yeah, right. Uh, it, there's no decision to that effect. It was the position has been reserved, uh, in, in 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 I think two cases.
0: Right, right. But it's only a matter of time, I think, given how the proliferation of use of PTCs.
1: There's no question that the the use of a PTC raises issues. That's one of the issues. There are a whole bunch of others. Um, yeah. I and numerous others have been in court over PTC problems. Yeah. Um, so
0: and you you move from having trust problems to having corporate problems yeah right right okay okay right last one um this is again remediation should we be using the offshore jurisdictions they they all uh, tend to have comprehensive reserve power codes in their trustee acts the the question that comes up is a lot of them will have total reservation provisions where you can reserve the whole list of powers without the um, the trust being um, held to be invalid or in any way um, affecting its validity, and then there are some that contain the trustee exoneration provisions that we were discussing in terms of Hong Kong. The question that I'm asking on this is rather narrow one, it's choice of law and recognition from a Hong Kong perspective. So if we were to um, habitually create foreign trusts with respect to a Hong Kong client or foreign trust with respect to a Singapore client, then one of the risks that would, or one of the arguments that might be raised is that the, the courts may not recognize that that particular foreign trust if there are so many reserve powers or types of reserve powers would be such that if you try to do it in a traditional jurisdiction, it would be well on the line of being potentially illusory or invalid. So in our list, the, the red side of the, the list of... Um, quasi-dispositive and fully dispositive powers. Um, what's your your feeling about the the risks of that in terms of a Hong Kong court or a, a Singapore court? Because Hong Kong applies the Hague Convention, so it has some backing to recognize foreign trusts. Singapore doesn't have that. But what, what would be the weight that the court would have to put on a claim that we can't recognize a Jersey trust because it has um, too many reserve powers, and that would be In a more traditional context of Singapore that would be likely to be held to be invalid so therefore we shouldn't validate that trust when it comes to a a domestic scenario.
1: Any court is going to to, to, to hesitate
0: to to recognize a
1: voluntary choice if it perceives that that choice has, has been made for the purpose of avoiding uh, some, some some aspect of local law, which is a fund considered to be of fundamental importance. Yeah. Now it's impossible to say what that might include. Um, yeah. you, 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 where is the mischief in all of this? Um, is 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 the court going to say that um, an intervivos lifetime choice by a settlor? Uh, which uh, might otherwise have um, exposed the structure to uh, a uh, some, some, some form of um, uh, testamentary disposition uh, analysis. Yeah. Is, 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 is a court going to say, well, this uh, distinction of testamentary and non-testamentary is so fundamental to us that we can't allow it to be avoided? Mm. Mm. Qualified in some way, yeah. If if, if indeed it, 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 there is a prior decision as to whether there's been any avoidance at all, uh, yeah. because most most people would say that the 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 these, the, the the various laws it referring to are merely declaratory of the existing position. Yeah. Assuming a court were to conclude that's not the case, that they go yeah. beyond, yeah. Uh, then, yeah, then it becomes a question of what's the policy issue behind those. Yeah. A, any, any provision which is uh altered yeah. like. So i suppose we I can't don't want to use the word avoidance because that, that carries a connotation but uh, yeah the moment
0: yeah so i suppose there is there is that potential particularly if it's it's got solely hong kong connecting factors or solely singapore connecting factors i mean that generally is not going to be the case There's, that many of the trusts will have set laws from other jurisdictions they'll have companies from different jurisdictions they'll have beneficiaries in different so there'll be a a whole array of different um connecting factors which won't just be fully domestic but in a fully domestic scenario that must be a risk yes it's 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 it's, it's certainly a factor that someone's going to
1: have to give careful thought to um but uh, it's if if you take the great big you know this pretty substantial step of of wanting to choose a foreign law in circumstances when you would otherwise have chosen um, you know, Singapore Hong Kong or whatever um, yeah. that's the big issue if, you, if, you, if you're going to go away from 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 the locality mm. then it would behove you to do that properly yeah and therefore you would if you're going to have a ptc well you would have a ptc in one of these other jurisdictions mm. and, and maybe your underlying assets uh, would, would 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 comprise a holding company incorporated in that same jurisdiction right uh,
0: yeah okay yeah. you're
1: building up your connections with that jurisdiction yeah yeah all of that is is, is a big step the yeah. first big step is the choice to go overseas yeah in the yeah yeah so okay. you, 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 you these days people are going to you know, united states and people are forming ptcs in yeah, yeah different states and what have you and yeah and such so i'm not suggesting everybody should be doing that it's just yeah. it's on the smallest scale but yeah it's not impossible
0: okay all right okay i think we'll just go on to next actions and i'll just canter through this this is basically just the the advice at the end um have a look at and review your trust design protocols i mean look at out-of-date trust precedents look at precedents that have loaded up dispositive powers and then in terms of the way in which you offer that to clients it's quite important in light of these cases to really review up not only the the precedents that you have but the way in which they're being marketed to clients um, going forward particularly if you're allowing extensive Uh, reservation of dispositive power, so the client can claim back the assets is also a beneficiary, etc. Risk review, the legacy business that you've got um, on your books, and that's quite an important one, particularly where you've got existing structures that are aggressively structured. When it comes to reserve powers, it's quite an important consideration to perhaps look at way in which you can engage clients on maybe remediating some of this or looking at the risk that they could potentially be facing and seeing whether or not there is a way of uh, trying to mediate that if they have active risks where they're there in their personal lives, for instance, that could involve the trust. then that would be something to look at. So it's not just, you know, looking at uh, new business, potentially it's also looking at a legacy business, which is always going to be bigger. New business protocols, be very careful about what you can promise without any sort of uh, admonition around whether or not the reservation of certain powers would not give rise to potential risks. Need to perhaps start talking in that way with clients and have a, have a way of uh, expressing the risk framework to them going forward, not just presenting them with documents that they can just sign. And then finally, on going down to keep an eye on this case law, um, keep an eye on the developments in this area. It's, it's still still going, it's still developing, and we'll have to see whether or not there's a. a, a uh, sort of high level case that comes through that starts to rationalize some of these um, these worries that we've got. And then it all comes down to educating staff and executing any remedial actions, so that's the main message is trying to educate staff and understand the risks involved and then do something about it going forward. Okay, We're on q and so I think we've only got a couple. Here. I'll see whether or not how much we can do. Some of this may actually need to, to, to go offline. So I'd invite any of the attendees that are that are writing this, but we can we can try and at least answer some of this. Um, if the power of investment is given to the power holder, does this mean the dispositive power will bring the trust to expose the tax in jurisdiction like Singapore? Is it seen? No, nope, I don't think I will pull that one. Um, Assume that the trust deed explicitly states that the protector is a fiduciary, an individual who is both a beneficiary and protector, would put that individual as a protector in a conflicted position. Would appointment of a beneficiary to a protector be then um, be then an effective appointment given the apparent conflict? So you're you're saying in one this one, David, we might well answer. um, You've got a beneficiary, and that beneficiary is also a protector, but we've also expressed that the protector is in a fiduciary. Let's say that the powers. Are nicely expressed as being held in a fiduciary context and they're they're well um drafted what's the position of the potential conflict there that this individual would probably want to act in their own self-interest but they're actually holding an office where they can't so yeah well their position
1: is exactly the same as any other fiduciary and uh, if 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 indeed um that they're in a position of conflict then they can't act and it's for that reason that a well-drafted instrument will um, uh, neutralise yeah. the, the, the conflict, absolute prohibition. It exactly. doesn't get you off the hook, as we said earlier, you, you've still got to do the job properly. But um, th- th- this has cropped up in numerous scenarios. And the, the, the most recent one is in the pension fund world, whereby right. you've got to have pension uh, pensioner trustees. Uh, they've, they've got to have a role and they're going to make decisions in, 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 where there may well be conflicts. Um, so it, that, that is a real problem and it's got to
0: be dealt with expressly. Right, right. I think you've got a, a variant of this. If the sector is acting obviously recklessly, this must be in the context of a reserve investment power, given investment direction to the trustee and the trustee acts on it, obviously in proper direction, with the position change, also with the position change if the set law is made a fiduciary in this aspect. Um, would the liability become the set laws, so I think this is a whole discussion point around the mix of obligations on these reserve powers when it comes to the investment side. Um, and we've got the, the trustee um, being aware of a uh, what we would consider to be a, a, a wrongful direction or one that's obviously designed to somehow um, put the trust fund in danger. So recklessly. So I, I suppose the obvious one would be let's sell all of the investments and invest all of it in Bitcoin. Yeah. So if there's a direction like that, let's say, which you would say in some circles, they would say, well, that's an extraordinary use of that power. What should we do? See, you- There are so many points. First
1: of all, the the dichotomy, fiduciary, non-fiduciary in relation to investment powers. Mm. uh, To suggest it can be uh, non-fiduciary requires quite a lot of thought. What does that mean? Yeah. And and this is frustrating for many people listening, but but you do have to be careful about this. Does that mean that I can um, uh, sell my power? Does it mean that I can promise to exercise it if I get a kickback from, from the investment manager that I've chosen? Mm. If I can exercise it in my own interests, I'm not a fiduciary, I have no duty of loyalty in, in an absolute sense. Um, do, 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 does, it, does it mean I can tell you to buy assets at, 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 at an, a, an overprice? Mm. And, and so on and so forth. I mean, no, nobody, generally speaking, thinks about these things, but that's... That that that's the state of affairs where you you could find yourself, and of course, because of that, most courts um, would say that you would need something pretty explicit yeah. for you in that situation. Yeah. So uh, so then then comes the other it's it's, it, it's the other side of the of, of the coin. To if you say something's fiduciary, you better explain what you mean. Yeah. If you say it's non-fiduciary, you better explain what you mean as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Imagine that you it it is fiduciary in the sense that there are You hold the power for the benefit of others, Mm. and you've got to take that into account. So you owe duties. Mm. There are duties owed by both parties in that circumstance, Mm. in absence of special provision. But could you ever? You definitely, your third party, the the power holder, will definitely be sued at some point.
0: Yeah, because I was thinking about: could you? Do you think the court would ever accept that no one has any obligations?
1: Well, the problem with that is how far does it go because it goes far enough you have no trust right right, right. so um you know, you 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 can narrow the obligation in some way but but there's no no doubt that if you if, if, if you've got to fight a power holder that owes jesus that person is technically if, if if not actually in the firing line yeah generally speaking people tend not to sue the settler Mm, mm. It's usually not not a healthy move to take. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but you know, you, 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 it's got to be recognised that that person, uh, uh, whose duties are not complied with. They, they they will be because it these these things are a responsibility shift. It's a division of obligations. But, it, but insofar as the trustee is not completely absolved, which would be very rare, the trustee is mm. still in the firing line. Mm. And it's a devil of a business to know exactly what the trustee, what, what matters to the trustee and what doesn't.
0: Yeah, and that comes back to the point you made about being very explicit about how you can explain those obligations. Because if you don't, then the court will fill in the blanks. It, it, ex- exactly. But right. it's it, it, it,
1: because of that uncertainty uh, that the statutory provisions for direct trust have come into play.
0: Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. You
1: have these provisions in the United States. It's why a provision was introduced, the Bahamian provision, which I talked about before, mm. and, and you, you, in, in, in a slightly different way, you've got your VISTA trust in BVI.
0: Yes,
1: right, right. Regulated division of responsibility,
0: so Right. people know where they stand. Okay. Right, David, thanks very much. I think that's probably, probably enough for today, for everybody listening in. We're at uh, an hour and almost an hour and a half. Um, All yeah. I'll just say is, I, um, forever grateful for you to to spend the time with us talking through these issues it's it's very important it's incredibly important for singapore hong kong because we have limited statutory codes on this and there's going to you know there needs to be um, some realization that these sorts of reserve powers are can be quite dangerous for clients so i think it's it's a very timely talk and it's very important for people listening and i thank everyone for who joined us who, who tuned in as i say the slides as well as the recording and the podcast will be made available. Afterwards, and I'd just like to thank David once again for for spending time with us on this one. Thank you very much, David. And yeah. um, I think we'll just leave it there. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you very much, too.
0: Thank you.